0: welcome to the sunday message from hollyview church in boring oregon we gather every sunday morning at 10 30 as a worshiping community of jesus followers on mission to see god glorified in our lives our cities and around the world at hollyview the bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry it tells the story of god and the story of us we believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Trinity, God is love. Joby Crover is speaking from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16.
1: You know, Joel puts uh, many names in a hat to draw out of for people to speak. And when your name gets drawn, it's like, did I win or did I lose? I often feel like I lost. but uh, I, I know I, went, I won. The, the process of, of writing a sermon is fantastic. Um, but the, the expectation to deliver it is, uh, is not my favorite thing on the planet. Um, but um, like Joel said, uh, I have thought about this for the last year. And so um, I was like, this is something I really want to share. So with that, um, we're going to talk about the Trinity. Oh, boy. Um, so I have a, a verse I want to start with, so it'll probably pop up there behind me. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows him, knows God. So as many of you know, uh, five years ago in 2017, uh, our we had a cancer thing. So Stephen went through cancer. Um, Battle leukemia, and it was quite a difficult time for him in particular, but us as a family. Um, and we learned a lot of things through that experience. Uh, some really good perspectives, and you've probably heard me say it before, uh, but I often say it Hey, Lord, thank you for granting me perspective, but please do it an easier way next time. Uh, and yes, I always is a, get a little chuckle out of that. Um, but one of the perspectives, or the things that was very obvious to us, was the way we were loved. Um, We received a truly amazing amount of care from many people. And through that, there's a particular example that comes, that stands out. And it's a a care that selfishly invaded. And what I mean by that uh, was it was a mom along life's journey, similar to where Gina was at. Uh, in our life stage. And so Gina received a quote, or not quote, uh, an email or a text or, or something. I don't remember exactly how it came uh, and I don't have the exact words, but it was, this was the gist of what she received. Hey, we hardly know each other, but I want you to know that I am in this. With you all the way, no matter what you need, when or how, I will do everything I possibly can to make it happen. The fantastic thing about receiving a statement like that is when the action is supported. Month after month, she did exactly what she said she was gonna do. She was there and it was repeated and it was consistent. And as you can imagine, that generated a very deep bond between her and my wife. Um, So I got to witness Not only my son surviving cancer, but these amazing bits of love and how to unselfishly love another person. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Isn't that something worth achieving in your own lives, in our lives? Being able to love other people really well? Deep down, it's what we want. We want to be loved and we want to love. what I propose to you this morning, is that the only way to really do that is by first embracing the love of God. But you might think, hey, uh, why do I need to embrace the love of God? I've seen other people love people. I've seen people that love people that I don't think they even know who God is. Um, I'm not sure they, doesn't it work? And then in my personal life, I I look at myself and I ask the question, hey, the number one priority in my life is my wife and my kids. But then I realize that I fail. I let them down, I treat them poorly, I do things that I shouldn't, and I mess it up at times. So if, if the most important people in my life I can't consistently love, how am I ever going to love somebody I hardly know any better? And so I have to pause and say to myself, I think I'm missing something as well. So this brings us back to our core scripture, and this is going to be our launching point for talking about the Trinity. Um, And what I want to show you about the key to loving others is is embracing God. And we're going to kind of unpack it through a very unique aspect of our God, that he is a Trinity. And we're going to explore the Trinity through three uh, pieces. So our God that is three in one, we're also going to look at uh, three aspects of this triune God. He has complete love, he has abundant love, and he has outward love. All right, I'm going to invite my wife to come up, and she's going to read our scripture, 1 John 4, 7 through 16.
2: Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, God is love, and
1: whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you that we get the opportunity to explore a little bit deeper this morning who you are, and that through that we can understand what love is, Lord. Um, Praise you for... uh, being gentle with us and walking with us through all the things that we do. Lord, uh, grant your spirit and your message to be shared this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so there was a lot of verses there, a lot of love language happening. um, But really what I want to do is uh, point out uh, a kind of an inclusio or an aspect of this passage uh, to really jump to where uh, I want to go. So, in the first verse, so 4, 8, it says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then if we jump down to 16, the last piece of 16, you, you'll see it again. God is love, and whoever abides in, in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So I don't, if you see it there, it's like do, you don't love, but you start to know love by knowing God because God is love, and then God is love. Whoever abides in love, love abides in God and God in Him. So, you see the connection, like the, the way this works is by knowing God. But the key central piece that I think is very profound is what it says. Do you see that God is love? I'm going to say it again God is love. So, the subtle difference is He is not loving, He actually is love. So, you might be thinking, well, is there a difference? Well, this morning, I want to unpack that, yes, there is a difference. There's a difference between being loving and being love itself. So what we see here is this inclusio or this bookend in this 10 verses. And really what we find is the Trinity is right in the middle. Um, So we see that uh, love was manifested, made known through the Son, and the Son gives life. That's verses 12 and 13. The Spirit is the one that brings action to the testimony of what was manifest. And finally, in 14, we see that the Father is the sender. So I propose to you this this connection. God is love because he is a trinity. He is three in one, Son, Spirit, and Father. To embrace the love of God, we embrace his triune nature. He is triune. He is both singular and three persons at the same time. A concept we can hardly wrap our minds around, but earnestly, if we ponder the truth of, is life-changing. In in Michael Reeves ha, uh, has this quote from his book, Delighting in the Trinity. God is love. Those three words could hardly be more bouncy. They seem lively, lovely, and as warm as a crackling fire. But God is Trinity? No, hardly the same effect. That just sounds cold, stodgy. Yes, the Trinity can be presented as a fusty and an irrelevant dogma, but the truth is that God is love because God is a trinity. So I picked a rather tiny topic, something that uh, we're just going to get through and figure out all in the next 25 minutes. Uh, not really. I might have got over my head a little bit, but hey, we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, but I think we can unpack some pieces. And that's the goal of the next 25 minutes. We're going to see some things and we're going to be like, yes, those are, those are good nuggets of truth. Um, And the joy of the adventure of being united in Christ is that it's lifelong. Uh, There's an unending amount of things to discover. Uh, I liken it to being on a treasure hunt. We all love treasure hunts. But the fun thing is that it never ends and it never gets old. It's always satisfying. So we have a triune God and immediately... There's a lot of pictures that we try to put into our analogies to draw connections to what this three-in-one thing is. But the problem is that, and you've probably heard a few, and I'm going to share a few, most of them are inconsistent, incomplete, or just plain old incorrect. Uh, Some of the analogies that you might have heard, it's like three phases of water. He's a gas liquid and a solid all at the same time. It's a triangle. It's one shape, but it's got three sides. Uh, It's a shamrock. It's three leaves that make up one. It's, have you heard some of these? It's an egg, it's a yolk, it's a white, it's a shell. He's all these ones. Or it's just a three-headed person. The p- problem is it all sounds like nonsense. A circle that's not, that is a square. And when we start to think of things that are nonsense, we think that it's not worth sp- time spending to get to know. It just sounds heady, cold, irrelevant, and we might just rest in a thought that it's a mystery. Something we we could just be satisfied in the small thing that it is. Um, but the problem with a mystery is that is just that. It's something we cannot know. But our God is a God who revealed Himself. And something revealed is hardly a mystery at all. But rather, it's more like secrets that are shared, things that we could not have worked out ourselves. Whispers of the truth of things that are. You remember as a child hearing some words or some uh, something described that an adult said, and then later you're like, I totally had it wrong. Uh, example for me is I asked my dad when I was probably 10-ish, so I'm an engineer and very inquisitive in the in how things work, but we didn't have an automatic car. We had all manuals, so I was like, Dad, how does an automatic work? And he's like, well, there's this magic thing called a torque converter. And I was like, ooh, a torque converter. What's a torque converter? Tell me about a torque converter. And um, he used very accurate words. He said, it's a donut-shaped object filled with veins and fluid, the engine on one side, the transmission on the other. I was like, okay. But in a 10-year-old's mind that doesn't understand a whole bunch of engineering stuff, Pictured a squishy metal donut filled with human-like veins and fluid moving around, magically making power go from here to there, and the tires turn. I was dead wrong in that assessment, and I could have rested in that idea that it's just a mystery. Engineers are magicians, and they figured something out, and I guess it just works. and I won't go into the details of how a torque converter really works. <laughs> uh, but it's very similar to the mystery of God. Um, the more we embrace God, the more we get it. The more we embrace, the more we get. Um, so where are we? I stated that God is not loving. He is love. And I stated he is love because he is a trinity. So we have this equation. Here's my math nerdy coming out. God is love because... Uh, God is a trinity, but this equation is still hard to understand, and it's uh, hard to connect to and, and uh, get some aspects out of, so like I said before, we're gonna underst- I want to go in and look at three aspects of God's love, so he has complete love, he has abundant love, and he has outward love, and we're going to look at those from three kind of mental viewpoints, God before time, God through creation and then God in redemption. All right. Um, But before we even get there, sorry, there's lots of little pieces to this sermon, I want to just stop and pause and have a definition of uh, what love is. So we in our culture tend to use the word love as a universal thing for many actual forms of love. You've, You've done it. We, we talk about a feeling, a passion, a friendship, an action. Mmm, that donut was awesome. I love it. Uh, wow, nature is amazing. I love it. Basketball, favorite sport. I love it. Uh, my best friend. I love them. My daughter. I love her. So this one word is actually rather short of the complexity of what we are saying in the core of who we are and what we're trying to express. I think our English language has more words that we could use, but unfortunately in our culture, we have used hyperbole and used this one word to try to express what's, what's happening inside. Um, in Greek, there's at least four words for love. You've probably seen these before. There's eros, which is passion. There's philia, which is brotherly love or friendship. There's, uh, st- I can't pronounce this right, storgy. It's actually not used in the Bible, I don't, don't believe, but um, that's one of the Greek words. Natural instinctive love or affection for a parent to child. And then this last one, which you've heard of, all heard of, or probably heard of, agape, which our best connection to is the word charity. Um, and this is the word that's used in our text today. Agape is the highest form of love. It's a deep action-based love, best translated as charity or benevolent love. But it still doesn't quite feel powerful enough, and I think that's just because of our culture. Um, but agape's benevolence is even further than this. It's not shown by doing what the person loved desires. However, by what the lover Understands that the love actually needs, so it's an active, selfish love. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in his message, says this for over Israel in Jeremiah thirty-one, and he says it in a way that I, I really like. Israel out looking for a place to rest met God out looking for them. God told them, "I've never quit loving you, and never will. Expect love, love, and more love." So. So with this definition of love, we're going to launch into where I talked about uh, our three viewports or three ways to understand or unpack uh, uh, God's love. So first, we're going to start in God before time. So look around and notice the people next to you. You can go ahead and do that if you want. Uh, I hope you can agree that they exist. (laughs) And then you can look at yourself and say, I do too. By our experience of the order of the, the way things are, we are witnesses to this magic thing that at some point they didn't exist, and now they do. As a baby is brought forth, we're like amazed at this life that is created. It's a rather profound thing. What once was not is now, it is now alive. And it begs the question, how did this happen? Where did it start? What is the force behind this new life? We can presume or consider a creator, a god. We can try to work out who this creator is. And maybe a question is, if this god is a thing, what was he doing before creation? So now let's imagine a god before time, no creation, just an eternal always was, always is being, something that is the originator but does not have an origin itself. I know It's getting a little heady, stay with me. So in our mind's eye, maybe you close your eyes and you picture this vast nothingness and maybe the singularity at the center. Maybe not the right thing to picture or it's not super accurate, but we have to picture something. So there's a whole bunch of nothingness and this, this entity at the center. It's then we can go down a dangerous path. Was this God terribly filled with boredom? Did he have a need to create something to fill the space? Did he have a need to create something just to rule over, to show his might? If we answer yes to this, isn't then God not just more than a scary almighty, just a dictator? In this line of thought, God is only made mighty because he created something mighty to be over. Wouldn't he, why would he love me? Why would he love his creation? And worse, why would I ever dare to love that type of God? But alternatively, God is most often revealed in Scripture as a father. John 14.6 says this, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We establish something very different from a ruler and its subjects. For a father has a son, and a son has a father. There is a profound, caring relationship. We find in John 17, there's an intimate prayer that Jesus has before he's about to go through his critical transition in ministry where he's going to prepare to die for his creation. And he calls out to God, not as the Almighty, but as Father. John 17, 24 says this Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Do you see it? The Father loved the Son, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. We can now take that picture of this singularity at the center and switch the conclusion. God is love because he had something to love before all things. Or the corollary, he couldn't be love if there was nothing to love. The fatherly characteristic of our God is not something that was created, generated, contrived, or done for himself or for creation, but is rather something that has always been and always will be and always present. Next, we find that scripture reveals that the father and the son have this special relationship expressed in a very special way. Well, scripture is filled with all kinds of accounts of how God moves via his spirit. I think of Genesis 1-2, the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then he said, let there be light. And then light happened. He said, let there be expanse. And expanse happened. And he separated. And he moved. And he created. And you can see this action of God's word and the spirit. And we know from scripture that the sun was there. Uh, Matthew 3, 16-17 and 16 and 17, I think is the best picture of what we see of the Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, What we perceive as action is this, this moving of the Spirit upon the the Trinity, or the unity that is God. For it's more than just words spoken, but it's this action carried out. So the Trinity really isn't just a fusty theological idea. Um, We can leave it at that, but God is revealed as the Trinity, and it's it's the impossible math problem. One plus one plus one equals one. Uh, So we can return to our imagination of God before all things, and we can now fill that emptiness that we thought was we pictured as boredom. We can we can we can fill it with not emptiness at all. Our God was internally complete in his love, in a relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, the previous picture is more like him sitting on a lazy boy with nothing to watch, <laughs> but rather. The wholeness of who he was is more like three best buds sitting around a campfire. They're joking, they're singing, they're enjoying each other, and maybe they're having the best s'mores ever. Um, So do you see it? He's complete in his love. All right, let's take the next step and look at why would he create then? If he's complete in all this, why would he take the next step and create something? So let's step back a little bit to that picture of a non-triune God, the God sitting in his lazy boy with nothing to watch, nothing to do. And we've, we could say, well, maybe creation was an ease for boredom. But I think the root tension that we might be trying to solve is that the singular God wouldn't be bored, but he would be alone. And this eternal loneliness would be solved by creation, possibly. But again, that leads us to a dangerous conclusion, that God himself is beholden to his creation itself to solve some kind of loneliness problem. But rather, we've already saw that he's a triune God. He's complete. It's the exact opposite of loneliness. A triune God is a God that is internally accompanied, and he is not filled with emptiness, but he's actually full of abundance. And seeing creation then from this viewpoint of an abundance is rather encouraging to creation itself. If we are created out of his abundance versus created out of his loneliness, there's, there's much more joy there in, for creation itself. So for me, I get a glimpse of this in just my own personal creativity. So you all have your own passions, art, drawing, music, whatever it is uh, that drives you to do something. So five years ago, I had this idea about our back patio being rebuilt. And I was like, I, was like, I want the roof to look like this, and it's going to have angles, and it's going to have boards going this way. There's nothing square about it, because I was like, I'm going to take every engineering thing I can and pour into this thing and have a good time. And the barbecue is going to be here, and the hot tub's there, and the plants are like this, and the Seats will be arranged this way. And as I was processing this idea, it's like I couldn't not build it. I had to move forward as I perceived this idea of what this space could be, a space to invite people into. Um, I I think our God is like that. Genesis one twenty-six says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. It's like the Campfire Trinity had this idea and then said, awesome, let's do that. (laughs) Um, And you see that in that text, there's a plural. God said, let us make us uh, in our own image. So he started creation of humanity with himself as the blueprint. Genesis 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him him a helper fit for him. So just like himself, God built humans to be together, to be in relationship. Like God, humans are built to love, to pour out oneself upon something else. Genesis 131 says this, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So do you feel it? Do you see that from, the, from this point of view? If creation is an outpouring of who God is, It is an outpouring of the abundance of his love, and it was good. Next, we have a last viewport to look at, God redeems. So he has an outward love. So unfortunately, this creation that was built to love, something kind of went wrong, right? We all know this. It got twisted and this love turned completely backwards and pointed right to self. James 1.14 says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And we know from the narrative of the fallen Genesis, Genesis 3.6, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. The word desire here is the Greek word epithumia, And actually, the the, the definition is very interesting. It says, The active and individual desire resulting from the diseased condition of the soul. So this good outpouring of God's love to generate a creation upon his own blueprint made to outwardly love turned inward and fell in love with itself. This is not good. Humanity created and placed at the campfire with the Trinity turned and said, I think there's a better campfire somewhere else. So then I proposed this question. How can something that is made to love, but has chosen to love itself, stop loving itself, then start loving that God again, all the while be also removing the stain of the transgression of moving away somewhere else? It's simply impossible. Nothing that loves itself can ever overcome itself. It would have to die to itself, and then it needs someone that has always remained bound in the love that is God to redeem it. There's only one that can do that. It's God himself. Luke 9, 23-24 says this, "And And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. God... Could have justifiably written off his creation. Campfire Trinity could have said, We had a great idea, but it went on its own way. And you could have left it alone. But our God does something unexplainable from a selfish, our self point, point of view. The creator of all things, the entity that is all things, that is love, continued his outward or his who he is and continued outward and redemption was his path or simply who he was. Jesus pursued his self-turned creation with a self selfless act, something that we cannot fully understand the pain of, but we can be fully thankful for. God offered a path for creation out of its love for itself, a path to be reconnected to the source again. Romans 5:18, therefore as One trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And moreover, this God did not ask for compensation for this redemption. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His always outward love is just that. It remains outward, it pursues, and it always gives. It's giving, it's giving, it's giving, just like that Jeremiah passage. Expect more love, more love, more love. So the mystery of a triune God is no mystery at all, but something revealed to us in our connection back to the Trinity through Christ. For when Christ died, the veil was torn between the Holy of Holies Mark fifteen thirty seven and thirty eight, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The unseen God revealed a connection to the source of love, restored an inv- invitation to come and sit at the campfire of Trinity once again. So, do you understand the difference now? Do you feel that difference between loving and who and and God being love itself? It's far more. Being love is complete, it's abundant, it's outward. It always carries out the actions of love and it's inherent and it's internal. By embracing this true triune God, you are embracing love itself. And that makes all the difference in your ability to love anybody else. There are almost 8 billion people on planet Earth now. It's like 7.8 billion all of them are fellow image bearers, blue, little blueprints of God. But many of them, not all, desperately need to know the depths of what love is, but more importantly, need to be reconnected to who love is. So, where are you today? Do you just simply need to receive the gift and understanding of, of God's love? Then let go of self allow Jesus to invade, and bring you back. Um, How can you practice love? You might have some fantastic thing to invite someone into, fishing, sports, a hike, some hobby. Just simply reach out and bring one more person into whatever you're doing. Maybe there's a hurting friend, and you need to reach out and say, hey, I can help that friend. Um, Maybe you just need to help a stranger person standing in front of you at the grocery line that can't pay their groceries, you just need to offer something as simple as that. Whatever it is, what we realize is that everyone starts out sitting at a campfire all by themselves, looking at a fire that actually doesn't work or give any warmth, and the whole time, there's a trinity that we are meant to be connected to right few steps away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that um, by pondering some of these truths, that it inspires us to continue down the path of understanding you and understanding the depths of what love is. And that um, we can rest in that you are not simply Loving because you 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 chose it, it is absolutely fundamentally an aspect of what and who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at ten thirty. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.